Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Katie, what's happening in Iowa? Allergies. Kids bringing germs home from school. Yeah, yeah. Um, new calves, a few of them. Real damn cute. And a big thank you to my friend Erin Ryan, who has been letting me pick her brain about the swarm of bees currently surrounding my house. Um, we have a local apiary that has a number of hives on our farm, which we are very grateful for, but we're about two and a half months into a drought and there are no flowers. And the bees have found my hummingbird feeders and my entire home is now surrounded by honeybees. Uh, so Erin was oh. very helpful. In, so you just walk around in those white suits? Yeah, basically. I'm just going to have to start wearing a, a net whenever I leave the house. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, they're on all of my hummingbird feeders. So Erin was able to tell me how to give them some food so that they would stop trying to find food in places that are not food, where they just keep drowning and getting stuck and... Um, bees are amazing creatures, but they're not real smart. Yeah. Their brains are, must be very, very small. Um, the upside is that they are, of course, domestic honeybees, so they are very chill little creatures. I know I had several of them riding around in my hair yesterday, and they were just happy up there. But Bailey, the wonder dog, came in with her face all puffy last night from snapping up spicy sky snacks in front of the house. Right, so. yeah, because they just kind of like buzz around and yeah. aren't all that fast. No, they're so really a, not. a quick dog can catch yeah. those things. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. she loves the challenge. But yeah, her, her little muzzle was pretty swollen up last night from, from the spicy sky snacks. So other than that, not a lot. How are things in your world, Arlene? Things are going well. We got some silage done this weekend, so that is exciting. Um, I think, like I've said before, we don't own our own corn silage equipment anymore, so it's a faster process because someone else comes in and zips through with their very big and very expensive equipment, and uh, then we pay the bill later on. But it means that silage gets done in a, in a much shorter amount of time than in years gone by. So. The uh, silos will need to settle a little bit, and they did two fields that were ready and then got into a third field, and it's a different variety, and it's not quite ready to go. So they will have to go move on to other farms and then come back and finish us up in a week or so when that corn has dried down. But it always feels good to get some of the crops off the field and into storage wherever it needs to be. So at our place, that's some upright silos and some big bags as well. So that was the weekend's task. and. I got to go see um, the chicks on the on Friday night, which was fun with my sister. And Maren Morris opened, which was awesome, and she played one of her brand new songs for the first time for us. So that felt like we were there for something momentous. So yeah, it was fun. I don't go to a ton of concerts this summer. We actually got to go to two though. So the chicks, and then we also went to see Alabama. So slightly different vibe, but both very fun in their own way. Alabama was actually really fun because we went with my parents and us and my sister and her kids and my boys aren't so much into concerts but my daughter went and one of my nephews and uh, yeah so like everyone from the teenagers to up to my parents were all singing to the same song so that was pretty cool to be able to go to concert for somebody that everybody knows the music for. It was a little shocking last week I realized that the retro country station on Sirius XM was playing all the music that I grew up listening to and I did not realize that mm-hmm. I had reached the classic country stage of my life where you know well there is like are you listening to prime because that's like our youth and then there's like the roadhouse and that's that's like even more classic than us so you can kind of pick it as Sirius has lots of options you can definitely pick and choose it was there. prime but I uh I actually switched 
to Sirius largely, well, largely because they don't play ads, but also because our local country station referred to Luke Bryan as the king of country. And that was right. the final straw for me. I <laughs> I can see some I'm arguments out. for people besides George Strait being referred to as the king of country, but Luke Bryan sure as shit does not belong in that list. You and my husband have very similar opinions when it comes to country music, I believe. Yeah. Happy to be talking to Angel King, who's joining us from Ohio. And Angel, we start each of our interviews with the same question. So this is your intro to our listeners. And we always ask, what are you growing? So for farmers, that covers crops and livestock, but also can talk about children, careers, businesses, and all kind of kinds of other things. So Angel, what are you growing? Well, it's, we're going to use a loose definition of growing. And I'm going to just talk about us being artists and cheesemakers. So we're utilizing the milk from our local community and turning it into something fabulous, which is artisan cheese. And which part of Ohio are you from? I'm in uh, North Central. Okay. My mom's side of the family is from Western Ohio. So I feel like I always have to get like a solid basis on where people are. I'm still really working on my Canadian geography. So turns out it's a big place. I, who knew? Well, I'd like to tell people our claim to fame here and where I live is that we're the highest point in the state of Ohio, which really isn't a lot to brag about. And I think everyone who lives out in the western area with the beautiful mountains at, you know, 14,000 feet will laugh that I live in a town where we are at a thousand feet. For the Midwest, that's pretty good. Look out. So I had a question later on in our script about cheese, but let's get right into it. What kind of cheeses are you making? Is it all from um, cow's milk or are you utilizing other kinds of milk or uh, tell us a little bit about the cheese side? We have dabbled in a variety of milks to make our cheese. Currently right now we are focused on cow's milk. We make fresh cheese curds um, every week and thousands of pounds go out the door in that. We also take our cheese and age it anywhere from two to six months. And that time is what really allows the flavors to develop and get stronger and stronger with time. We also do purchase some goat's milk locally from some farmers and turn it into chev, which is that wonderful spreadable cheese, and then also feta. So those are our two current different types of milk that we use to make our cheese. We're also well known for something called Gretna grilling cheese. This is a cheese that when it gets heated up in a pan, it doesn't melt. Normally cheese would turn into that real pile of goo and yes, it tastes yummy, but maybe that wasn't your plan. But this type of cheese, when you cook it in a really hot pan, gets a beautiful caramel crust in a couple of seconds, flip it over, do the same thing. It reminds you of a grilled cheese sandwich without the bread. So any keto fans out there just love this cheese because they get that satisfaction of a grilled cheese sandwich, but didn't have any bread. I mean, the bread is just the holder for the cheese anyway. So, I mean, that just <laughs> cuts, cuts, that, cuts that out right all, all together. Absolutely. Arlene, I think you and I tried a similar kind of cheese at our first in-person meeting. Well, you have a good memory, Katie. Yes. That was the, the cheese that I got. I do for cheese. Pull, pulled aside in the airport for because I forgot to tell them that it was in my bag and they, uh, it wasn't an issue. I am bad at many, many things, <laughs> yeah, but, but cheese yeah, is not one yeah, of them. You remember the cheeses. So Katie, I hear reports that people up in Canada love poutine, which is French fries with a lovely brown gravy and fresh cheese curds. And there are uh, restaurants in Ohio that are replicating the same thing, and it is so yeah, yummy. Yeah, I'm the. Uh, I think we should bring it to Iowa. Yeah, I'm the Canadian co-host, and poutine is definitely a staple here. Any uh, any chip stand that you go to, if it doesn't have poutine, it's not not worth visiting. I um went to visit Arlene this spring, but I'm guessing that maybe February was not really the time for outdoor chip stands there is one in our um, town that's open year-round we, we could have made it into our schedule if we had tried hard enough but we had a lot of other things planned the moonshine i had in canada was delightful <laughs> yeah. so i'm sure that the poutine would have been as well yeah for sure but, well, next visit so angel did you grow up on a farm or what's your agricultural background my family gave us the most amazing 
small um, acreage experience of agriculture. We had the most amazing garden, hundreds of tomato plants and all the corn and all the things that you would want. But we also had chickens, five goats, two steer, and some rabbits that you threw in there. But the funny story about the chickens was that my parents started out with a dozen of hens that were already laying. And my grandfather heard about that and thought, oh, you guys need some more baby chicks. So he bought my mother a hundred baby chicks and they arrived not knowing that my father had done the exact same thing and they were to arrive the next day. So in a short wow. period of time, we started out with 200 chicks. That was not the plan, but we had a great experience. So while I didn't live on a typical farm, I had a great opportunity to experience a lot of different animals. And I learned that while I love to make goat cheese, I personally am not a fan of goat's milk. My mother did a great job exposing this to it, but it is just not my love. I think, Arlene, that is probably the most chicken math story we have had on this show yet. <laughs> and we've, I mean, we've had some chicken math, yeah. but yeah, that's... The, the surprise elements, too. Yeah, that really brings it up a notch. Did your mother know that any of these chicks were coming? Or she knew a hundred. Um, I think she knew there were a lot coming, but I don't know that she knew a hundred were coming and definitely not yeah. 200. That's good, at least, that she had some warning. I cannot even imagine, you know, checking the mail one day and finding a hundred surprise baby chicks, and then checking the mail the next day and finding another surprise hundred baby chicks. So, correct, and that meant we had to put up a structure in a really fast period of time to house them. We got yeah, it done. Yeah, I, I know I've I've heard of people saying they had chicks in their bathroom or whatever, but I've never heard of anyone doing it more than once. I feel like that's one of those things that generally anyone who's had chicks before is um, will do just about anything to not have them in the house. So I'm sure that a structure went up quite quickly. For sure. So one of the thing, many things that we're going to talk to you about today is your background in small business management and human resources. So I was thinking about the fact that a lot of people in ag end up farming, and that's kind of their skill set. And then as they become more successful, as the farm gets bigger, then they kind of end up hiring people or you know doing things within their business that maybe they weren't completely trained in or don't have a ton of experience in. So I was wondering if you have some advice for someone who's just starting to look at hiring staff to, to work with them and work for them. Having amazing staff members is a game changer in running your business smoothly. But I think it starts first with finding the right mix of a person that really is passionate about what you're doing and loves it to the same degree because you're really asking them to kind of care for your baby you know, and be a part of it. We've been very fortunate over the last 15 years to have some of the most amazing staff members be a part of that. And I think that has been the number one thing. You know, we, we laugh at times, but you know, I had somebody come in one time say right off the bat, I want to work here, but I don't like cheese. That's probably in that situation, not a really good fit when you're looking for someone that's passionate about the business. So I think that carries over to whatever application you're doing in ag, they really need to like what you're doing or else that's not going to work. And you're looking for skills that maybe you're able to do, but it's not a good use of your time. And I think that's why we've been also fortunate to find people who not only are passionate, but they are so capable of taking on whatever the task is and just running with it with confidence and then checking in to say, hey, I need some more direction or help on this. So it's finding the right people, getting them plugged in. And then you do, honestly, there's back end work. I mean, nobody's immune from this. There's a lot of back end work that gets no glory and it's running the payroll, it's taking care of all the taxes and all of those kinds of things. And if that's not your skill set, then you really do need to outsource that to someone who can take care of it. It's not worth letting those details drop. You know, so I mean, these days, QuickBooks makes it so incredibly easy that if you don't know how to run payroll, turn that feature on and just let it run. It's worth every penny. And then you can sleep at night knowing, you know what, 
everything's taken care of, all those taxes go where they need to go, and everybody's paid and they're happy. So it's finding the people, finding the passion, and then make sure you use tools that allow you to compensate them properly and take all those details. You know, but I, I know that we wouldn't be where we are today had we not made that decision of realizing we needed help to get to the next stage because you can only get as big as you and your, your, your team is. And if you don't add more to it, you're never gonna grow. So yes, it's gonna cost money, but if you can pencil it out and say it's gonna make sense, then by all means launch and get the most amazing people on your team. So Angel, what advice do you have for those of us who, between ourselves and maybe our, you know, a lot of us are farming with an older generation as well and maybe a younger generation, to get past that mental hurdle, you know, so many of us were raised with that. Well, you have to be independent. You have to do everything yourself. Um, to get past that mental hurdle, to just hire the people who are good at the stuff that you don't want to do. Because there's a lot of stuff that I could do it myself, but A, I'm going to do a bad job because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And B, it's going to take me six times longer than it would take anybody who knew what they were doing. And I could be doing things I'm good at and enjoy and let somebody else do this crap. But it's still, even knowing that logically, it's still really hard to get past that. Well, you're going to pay somebody to do something that you could have done yourself? You know, real self-sufficiency moment. Right. And I can understand that. And I think the thing that took me a while to finally kind of wrestle through was realizing that I needed margin in my life. Margin's that space around the edges of life that, I mean, sure, I could work 80 hours a week, but I'm not going to be a happy, satisfied person taking care of all the responsibilities and the relationships that are in my life and thriving or let alone put my feet up and read a good book. And so because I value having margin in my life, I have realized we have to spend the money to outsource those things to other employees or other tools or whatever, so that I'm a more satisfied and happy individual and meeting the needs of the people that are very precious to me in my life. So I think that's how I've come down on it is you're going to have to pay for it because it's no fun to work 80, 100 hours a week. Even though you could, it's not something to be sustained. You know, I had a dear friend who uh, many years ago found herself in a situation where she had to have a kidney transplant. And thankfully, she was able to get one. And she will tell you that she was a workaholic. And her admonition to me one day was, you will pay the piper. You can run yourself ragged, but there's going to be a, a cost at the end and it's not worth it. So figure out how to put that margin in your life. And I think that my husband and I have both figured out what that is. And that's why we're even more thankful for the team members that we have that make that possible. One thing I've been thinking about a lot is I'm 42 and, you know, not that that is in any way old, but those 100-hour weeks were a lot easier when I was 25 than they are now. And I've got two little kids and looking at the things that literally only I can do. You know, I mean, my kids go to daycare. They go to public school. So, I mean, I'm not the only one keeping them alive, but I'm the only one who can be their mom at this point in our lives. And I'm the only one who can do, you know, I have an off-farm job. I'm the only one who can do this job to help support my family. Basically, I don't want to say basically anybody can clean our house, but that was an easy one to outsource. You know, that's, I don't need to be the one doing that. And there's a lot of things like that that I, you know, once you get past the things that only you can do, it gets easier to start outsourcing everything else because it's not worth it, you know, and I'm the only one who can sit my butt down on the couch and read a novel and eat chocolate too. So, you know, <laughs> if you outsource that, you're not getting you any of the benefits. It. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine how weird it would be to try and hire someone to read books and eat chocolate for you? I volunteer. Like not read books to you. Just like, <laughs> yeah. If anybody needs a professional book reader and chocolate eater, I think Arlene and I would both volunteer actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel good about that. 
Well, I think you're, you're wise to realize at different stages of life, it's important to reevaluate what we all did when we were in our 20s. We were all just full of energy and enthusiasm. And you know what? I think it continued into the 30s. But the 40s and 50s are a whole different ball game. And I think it's okay to, again, have another reevaluation, say, is this how I want to spend my 40s and 50s being ragged out? Or I have precious children and family members that really need my love and attention. And therefore, I think the biggest thing I had to learn was my workday has got to live in a box. It has a start and it has an end. Because reality said to me, I could spend 40 hours or 60 hours and I'm probably not really going to significantly move the needle. But if I'm not engaging with the people that are precious to me in my life, I will see significant um, negative consequences because in a few years, they're not going to be here. And I will have missed the prime opportunities to really be a part. So that was a very important thing that happened to me on the way back from a trip that my husband and I had taken several years after we had started our cheese business. We started in 2008. I had this aha moment as we were driving back the trip, like, you know what? This business has got to live inside whatever the box is and everything else needs to be outsourced because I want to be a thriving mother and wife and sister and friend and all the relationships that I have because I don't want to wake up and say I'm 65 years old and boy, I really missed the mark, but wow, I had an amazing business. That wasn't the legacy that I wanted to have. The other big one I'm realizing, and I do actually, Arlene's sister embroidered me a trophy with my name on it, but realizing that, especially in farming and self-employment, there is no done. You know, if you put in 40 hours of work, there's still going to be more work to do. If you put in 100 hours, there's still going to be more work to do. And nobody's going to bring you a damn trophy, even if you do manage to get it done. You know, working more than anybody else is not going to get you a prize. There's nothing down that road except, you know, hopefully years of therapy to straighten you out and, you know, exhaustion and injuries and bad relationships. And it's just, I would certainly not say that I'm good at this balance thing, but I'm working on it and that's a hell of a lot better than I was. So, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress, but... Um, so what are some of the essential skills that people should actually get training in instead of just waiting for that 200 chicks to show up and then figuring it out? That sounds like I'm blaming your mother, but I'm not. No, no, <laughs> just... no, no. She, she was precious and she rolled with it so well. You know, what I think is different nowadays is that the internet has just really broadened the opportunities for us to gather so much information. You know, it used to be you'd have to run to the library and hope they had the book that you needed to teach you whatever you need to know. And now there really is no excuse that if you don't do your homework and glean information from people who've maybe charted a course ahead of you. So it's not necessarily that you have to have all your ducks in a row for whatever you're wanting to do in your business or your venture, but you better have a pretty good idea of where you're going. I mean, I'll tell you that when we started the cheese business, there wasn't a, here are the 20 things that you need to do and you are ready to go. It really did take months and months of research, trying to figure out what the plan was, what were the pieces of equipment that we needed, um, trying some on a small scale in the home just to see, was this concept going to work? But I think there needs to be a passion for constantly learning. It can't be a once and done kind of a thing where like, oh, I know how to extract honey. So there's no other way I should learn how to extract honey. Well, you know, probably in 30 years time, there might be another technique that has shown up on the scene and maybe we should look at it. So networking with people who don't see you as competitors, but see you as friends, you'll be surprised at what you can um, get from just visiting and having that network. I was just going to say that's one of the things I love about agriculture is that it does seem like maybe compared to other industries, there is that welcome, welcome nature of farmers, right? You know, like you can go to someone else's farm and, you know, you'll get shown through the barn or they'll, they'll talk to you about what they're doing. And, you know, 
I mean, some people are secretive, of, of course, but for the most part, I mean, we're we're all doing it a little bit differently and a little bit the same. And so learning from each other and saying, yeah, I tried that and it didn't work here, but I mean, like, maybe it'll work for you or, you know, there's, there's, there is a lot of openness around the, the type of work that we're doing. And I think that that, you know, is, is a real, a strength in our industry and that, that, that community feeling really is important. Um, on that note, you also have a lot of experience working with family members, not not just not just staff, but also people that you uh, have other types of relationships with, including your your spouse. So, for those of us who are working with our, our partners or our kids or our in laws, siblings, all those types of things, what are some of the things that you find it takes to to run a business together and also still like each other by the end of the day or Maybe not every day, but hopefully at the end of the week, you can say that, you, you know, you mostly liked each other. You know, I like the word picture of a silo because I usually answer that with saying that I think one of the keys in relationships when you're, you're related to people and working alongside them is to function in silos with responsibilities. So realizing, realizing that my skill set might go one direction and my, in my case, my husband, he has a different skill set. And it actually works best if I say, you know what, you run your silo of responsibilities and I'm going to run mine. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It doesn't mean that I don't have opinions, but I'm going to be gracious and say, you run what you do best and I'll do mine. And that tends to keep the conflict a lot lower because if I'm constantly interjecting my opinion or vice versa, it can be a little messy when it's work mess mixing with family life. And so for us, we respect our silos of responsibility and then find ways to maybe offer suggestions, but it's not all the time. Because think about it, even with friendships that we have, you don't want people just beating up on you all the time saying, hey, you need to X, Y, and Z. It's the same skill. There's ways to tell people, hey, I think this might go be a better way to do that. So that's one of them. That is a big piece that I think has helped us. And then also um, for us as husband and wife, realizing that because we work together, sometimes work and home can get really mixed up. And we just need to go out on a date and we're just having a great time and work does not travel with us. It does not turn into a business meeting all the time. Now, if we're going to go out and then we're going to have a business meeting, we know that's what we're doing. But if this is like, nope, we're putting our hat on, we are out to have a good time and a good meal, um, that also helps keep our relationship thriving and happy and not dragging along frustrations with us. Um, but that also does apply to siblings. I'm in a uh, business relationship with siblings. And the same thing really does need to apply of extending grace and saying, you do well in that piece. I'm going to do this piece and I trust you. Um, so those, those are kind of the tools that I've zeroed in on and making things as harmonious as possible because a caustic relationship is not going to thrive. And at some point it's going to blow up. So whatever we can do to kind of prevent that problem, I'm not implying sh shove things under the rug if they need to be dealt with, but I think we can just say, you know what, you do what you do best. I'll do what I do best. And if there's a time to talk about it, we will. For sure. Because I mean, sometimes when someone gives you advice on a task that is yours, then your response is kind of like, well, then you do it, <laughs> right? If if you have so many ideas and, and you think you can do this better, then then go ahead, right? So, so if you don't want to take on the tasks that are in their silo, then sometimes it is just best to, uh, yeah, let them go to it. <laughs> Because I honestly don't want to do some of my husband's jobs. He is hauling milk to bring it in. I'm like, that is not my skill set. And I don't want to do that. So I should just zip my lip and say, you go do that and yeah, do it exactly. well. I think that's one of the places, too, that I don't want to say cutting back on work, but broadening the scope of your life to include more than farming and children can really help, too, because it uh reduces the stakes a little i think around the the emotional part of 
who's doing a good job and who's in charge of stuff. And, uh, you know, if you have other commitments and other interests and other places to gain value in life. And and then you've got something to talk about when you go on that date. Exactly. The uh, date nights have been more interesting now that we're doing stuff besides farming and only just dealing with the two little kids. You know, we occasionally have stuff to talk about, which is a nice change of pace. Well, and I think that gets back to the whole margin thing is that, you know, I have other things that I am doing. I am serving in my community um, and in variety of ways. And so you're correct. It brings a whole different piece of things to talk about and that our world is not wrapped up in this one thing because there's far more to all of us than just what we do. Well, I, I think, too, as parents, it's so good for our kids to see us having lives and interests that are not you know, quote unquote, just the farm or just the family, that we are also humans with our own relationships and our own friendships and our own interests and values and the the interest in learning as well, that our kids see us being, you know, lifelong learners and curious and passionate and willing to change, that that's a large part of what our family at least is really trying to instill in our children is that it's not like you grow up and then you're just set in stone for the rest of your life past, you know, 25 or whatever. It's just a steady state from there until you die, you know? Um, so <laughs> speaking of children and family relationships, um, we know from talking to you that you have three children, six stepchildren and 17 grandchildren and presumably quite a host of significant others and friends and what have you. Um, what can you tell us about the background of your family? I love our family story and that we um, are all blended together from, you know, started with my, I married a, my husband who had sadly lost his wife to breast cancer and was a widower with six children. I'm amazed at what I have seen, how they managed to get through the five years before my husband and I were married. And it just is a marvel at how the farming really drew them together because there were rhythms and routines that had to happen. And it didn't matter how you felt, you just had to still get up and plow through. So they're to be applauded for what they accomplished in that, that period of time. So then my husband and I got married. We'll be 20 years this year. So we have uh, ridden through all kinds of highs and lows that everybody gets to experience. And we're still madly in love with each other. And together we have three children. Uh, we're actually expecting our 18th grandchild um, the, later this year. So we're pretty excited about that. And so family is a very important piece of our life. And then when I talk about rhythms and routines, you know, we have regular times that we get together and a hosting a family event at our home. You know, there's 35, 40 people that show up and it's loud and it's fun, but we're making memories. And I would say the relationships are all very precious. They all have grown into amazing adults. Um, most of them are married, they have children and just thriving. So I think what made it really possible through those early years of transition, because you know I was becoming um, blended into their lives as well, was again, they extended much grace and I extended much grace. And it's really shown over the years how these relationships have really blossomed. So we, uh, we know how to have a good time. Later this year, uh, later this month, my uh, mother-in-law is turning 99 years old and we're having a big old party for her and we're going to celebrate that um, and look forward to that. So um, while, while agriculture has been a very much the backbone of our family because my husband milked cows for 30 years and that's a rhythm of up and down twice a day, rain or shine, hot or cold, it doesn't matter, you get it done. Um, it has been a very deep um, part of our family. And so cheese making was an outgrowth of that because I married a dairy farmer and we had the natural commodity of milk at our fingertips. And that's what really launched us into, we needed to spit ourselves out of the commodity market 
and find a way to be specialized in creating something with what we had, but something really unique. Sure. How old were his kids when you were first on the scene, when you were were meeting your stepkids for the first time? What were their ages? (laughs) I didn't know it was a pop quiz. (laughs) Well, approximate. You don't have to give Um, exact. (laughs) uh, Two of them were in college, and I think the youngest was eight years old. Okay, so there was a big spread there. And so he was he was dairy farming at that yes. time. At what point did do you is he still farming or you're just you're buying cheese or buying milk from other people at this point? Yeah, we continued to milk for several years once we started cheese business, but it got to the point where trying to manage dairy farming with um, crop farming and family and cheese is too much. And again, that was one of those things that we had to sit down and say that's not that's not workable so let's do what makes sense for our family and therefore we decided we're going to buy milk from local dairy farmers in our area which allows them to continue to do what they love to do and we fairly compensate them for that and then we will just hyper focus on making cheese and then we do some organic farming sure. as well yeah i'm from a i'm on a dairy farm myself so i can't imagine fitting in a cheese business at the same time so <laughs> i i hear you on that one Do you have any thoughts or advice for parents who are coming into a blended family situation right now? I mean, I know you talked about extending, extending grace, but do you have any other thoughts on someone who's maybe going into a a similar situation either, or, or even the, the sibling relationships, you know, like how, how you, you know, kind of created the the bonds between, between the kids, especially with such a, a range of ages. I think that one of the things that helps in blended family situations is trying to integrate existing family traditions and keep them going and alive. You know, whether, whatever those, those traditions are as simple as, you know, we used to have a family meal on Sundays where extended family in the area would come in. So, you know, I just, we just hit the ground running and, and kept all those things that were very much important and part of our lives as a family and we made memories together. The other one was every summer uh, when sweet corn was ready and the raccoons had not eaten it yet, we would pick a whole pickup truck load of sweet corn. And that was the day's project where we would just all band together as a family, shuck it and cook it and you know shear it off the cob and freeze it. Not because it was a way to save money, but it was more about the family tradition. This had been going on for decades in, in my husband's family. And it's such a sweet tradition to continue because there's something about working together because you're not going to get that any other way by getting a can of corn off the shelf. It, like I said, it wasn't about saving the money. It was about we're doing something together as family. Um, so, you know, we did a lot of those kinds of things. So sadly, last year was the first year we didn't make sweet corn that way, um, and I, primarily because we had a bad season. So we're looking forward to this year to bring that back. We put up a fence for them, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'll tell you, Angel, some of the best farm advice I've ever gotten. I uh, The year my husband and I moved up to the family farm here, we shot 33 raccoons in like three and a half months before we just stopped counting because it wasn't worth it. And I was losing broiler chickens out of my chicken tractor. And one of my friends said, you know, get some of those long fence insulators, those ones that are like four inches long. He said, just run a hot wire around the bottom of your chicken tractor. And we did. And my in-laws were still living in the house up here. And they said they heard that raccoon hit that hot wire in the middle of the night. And they heard him screaming all the way down the yard and across the road and that he was still screaming when he hit the field on the other side. Cause I'm sure he hiked one back leg up over that hot wire and, um, got his pride and his joy onto that hot wire. And we had a five mile fencer hooked up to 64 feet of fence. Um, so might be worth considering for your, your next. Oh, I'll, I'll pass that on. Yeah. That's hilarious. Tell you what, they didn't come back. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably actually what decreased the population too. It probably did not help his reproductive 
situation at all either. Um, So one of the the reasons that we started the podcast was to talk to other farm parents about the joys and the struggles of raising kids. So knowing that your stepkids were younger, uh, some of them at least, what were some of your best memories at that time? And how much better is it being a grandparent and thusly presumably being able to do more of the fun stuff and less of the stain removal and emergency room runs? Grandparenting is wonderful. I mean, I get all these adorable coloring sheets in the mail and the enthusiasm when we see them. It's just absolutely precious. I FaceTimed this morning, um, three of them, and they got to show me their Lego creations. So it's it's totally a blast. And obviously it's a different stage. Um, you just can put a lot more attention to this stage of enjoying the little years in that way. Um, go back to your first part of your question because I just had a brain cramp. No, no problem. Um, what were some of your best memories from when your stepkids and your kids and the first set of kids that you started? Like, what's the, <laughs> the kids that have provided you with the grandkids? How's that? Yes. I hate when people say stepkids like they're separate. And like, you know, if you're right. a blended no, family, they're, they're, they're kids. You know. That, that we, we're, we're all one big happy family. I think they really enjoyed seeing how each of them thrived in their own interest. You know, some were into ba- uh, basketball, some were into gymnastics, some were into football. And so being very intentional about being there and watching and I didn't come from a sports loving family so I kind of hit the ground running really at a disadvantage um, I knew the sports but I didn't know how you how it all worked I got to figure it out pretty well now now if we had to do hockey and uh, lacrosse I'm, I'm out sorry don't don't have that ability but um, in order for blended to work you really have to make an effort to really care about one another and not expect it to be a two-way street. It's really about giving and loving people and that that fruit will come years later. But demanding it or expecting it, I think is really out of place as one of the adults in the relationship. And so I've, I've seen that fruit bear out, that as everyone has become adults and they're thriving in their sphere, the relationships are even more sweeter. I think that's important to remember for any kid, really. I mean, hopefully we're raising humans who will eventually start to give us something back. But so much of parenthood really, like you said, it, it's it's a one-sided for a long time. And, I mean, we're we're obviously modeling that, that giving and, you know, pouring, pouring into other people. And, you know, when you get little nuggets of it back, then it feels like (laughs) you have to take those wins where you can get them. Right. I mean, and not to say that our kids will always be selfish, but I mean, innately they are right. Like that's how we as a species have survived. Like when, when you're little, you, you don't have the capacity to, to really, to really give back. So as, as frustrating as that sometimes is, <laughs> yeah, that's an important one to remember that we can't, we can't always expect a lot in return. Angel, I really like what you said too about giving each other grace, because I mean, yeah, even at five and six, because I do know how old my kids are, um, coming from my own body, they're still totally capable of being selfish, manipulative little shits because that's how little kids survive. You know, they can't drive cars. They can't grocery shop. They don't really understand, like, ordering online. We don't live in a place where they can call for pizza. Like, what else are they going to do? Of course they're going to be selfish little shits. But modeling that showing them grace even when they're being little shits showing our partners grace even when they're being shits showing ourselves grace when we're being shits because i know i'm probably worse than my kids and my husband put together and how important that is to just keep modeling that being kind and loving people 
especially when they don't deserve it. Because it's real easy to, to love and appreciate your kids when they're being cute and sweet. But that's not the part they need to learn. You know. And, and they, I think they will notice that uh, and, and over time because you're modeling it as to what is the appropriate behavior. And you're going to see the fruit of that 20 and 30 years down the road. You're going to be so vindicated as well. I, I laugh because my mom's vindicated. There's so many things that, you know, like, why did she do that? And you're like, oh, that makes sense. And yes, she was patient in this regard or whatever it was. So it's being patient for the, the reward of that investment was worth it. We're already there, to be honest. I, uh, I'm a horrible morning person. And my poor husband has been putting up with it and gently complaining about it for 11 years now. And then this morning, my six-year-old daughter once again came rolling into our bed at 5.30. And she starts talking before her eyes are open. And she does not stop. And I was like, you know, even I find this a little too early and a, a little too much. So <laughs> we're already there. So when we talk to parents about raising kids on the farm, um, you know, sometimes the impression is that everything is wonderful and amazing and, you know, like they, they love doing chores and they can't wait to ride along in the tractor. And some days that's true and lots of days it's not. Um, so what do you remember about those early days on the, on the farm with your with your kids and what were some of the, the struggles that, that you had during, during those times, live and farm life. That really amazed me about farm life and raising children is it is such a fabulous way to instill a work ethic, a non-negotiable work ethic, particularly when we look at dairy farming and you can replicate it through all forms of agriculture, but dairy farming, like I said, rain or shine, hot or cold, doesn't matter five o'clock out to the barn you go. It doesn't matter if you don't want to that day. These are non-negotiables. And I think that builds an incredible work ethic that is really benefiting each of the adults, like, cause it applies to their job wherever they're at now. And not all of them have chosen to go into agriculture, but I guarantee you they take in that skill set with them. You know, I know that there was always an enthusiasm by some of them to get to do the chopping and fill in the silo and the bunker and wrapping hay. And some of them hated it, but some of them loved it. But again, it didn't matter. It's a work that has to be done. And that's part of family and the agricultural life. You know, we also had a really big garden at that time. So if you weren't tasked to work in a certain job that evening, then we'd be out weeding or picking green beans or whatever it needed to be um, just really integrating our work responsibilities in with what we need to do because we're a family. And, and so it was making those memories together as a family, but also working together. As my husband says, living on a farm is the best way to raise good kids because you got to get wet and dirty. And that's, that really behooves you later in life. Okay, so we're going to get back to the part of this podcast that I'm excited about. Like, let's just let's just face my love for cheese. Um, so you were the president of the Ohio Cheese Guild, which I didn't even know is a thing, but now I'm jealous. Um, which we're assuming means required cheese consumption, probably at least on a daily basis, and presumably other dairy products as well. Um, what's your favorite cheese to make? And what's your favorite cheese to eat? Oh, I love making our cheese curds because I am just enamored with the fact that we could start at eight o'clock in the morning and by eight o'clock in the evening, we have hundreds and hundreds of pounds of fresh cheese. So buttery, so fresh, so squeaky and a touch of salt on it. I just love it. That's my favorite. So obviously I'm partial to the cheeses that we make, but like any other cheesemaker, I actually do eat other cheese, except I do not defile my hamburger with that little square plastic thing that, that some people want to put on hamburgers. That is the most vile and disgusting thing from a cheesemaker's perspective. I can't even call it what it is because it's just terrible. 
And now one of the things I have to tell you is that when I interview people to come work for us, I have to warn them. I guarantee you're going to turn into a cheese snob. Not because you want to, but you just can't help it. When you're around making cheese, you're going to fall in love with it. And it's not because you're going to fall in this with ours, but you're going to realize life is way more than that little sliver of fake cheese. Don't ever eat that. Yeah. Ugh. You can't, so you can't I do go not back eat that. Once, you, once you head down that path, right? So they have to know what I, they're getting into. We have crossed <laughs> yeah. the Rubicon. There's no going back. But if I'm going to go out and get some cheese, I mean, there are several blue cheeses that I'm very fond of. And we often get asked, do you make blue cheese? Because our name of our company is Blue Jacket Dairy. So you think, oh, we'd make blue jacket. We'd make some blue cheese. And I always laugh and I say, well, until my husband loves blue cheese, then this isn't happening. He just does not like it. But secretly, I've been getting some and using it a little bit and he's been eating it. So who knows? Maybe in five, 10 years, we'll make some blue cheese. Right. I don't Except know. To, yeah, work, work him into it slowly, a little bit, a little bit at a time. I'm guessing you probably have some strong opinions on spray cheese as well. Oh, very much so. We have to be all agree on what cheese is. <laughs> yeah. And if it comes out of a can, <laughs> I can, I just can't. And it can't be that long square thing that starts with a V either. You know, it's just, I can't help it got to have some good cheese but I applaud anybody else that can do it um, but it's it's worth laughing about but the Ohio Cheese Guild is actually a collection of um, cheesemakers throughout the state both small and large and also um, specialty cheese retailers um, restauranteurs that love to use um, Ohio cheese and then our favorite foodies who love cheese so it's all of us that are really passionate about cheese that's being made in Ohio because there's really been an effort over the last 20 years, what I would say is the revival of cheese making in our state. Obviously, most of us think of Wisconsin being the number one, and they typically are, and California's out there doing their great things. Um, but Ohio's, we're, we're, we're working hard to get back into the into the lead. Yeah, it's it's great to see all the the variety. You know that it seemed like for a while it was it was going so mainstream. You know, cheese was just kind of like these are the things you can find at the grocery store, and and that's all there is. But yeah, the the resurgence in in artisan cheese making is is really exciting as a as a producer too. You know, to to know that there are people out there making delicious things. So what are some of your future goals for the, the business? What do, what do you see in the, in the near future? What are you working towards? For the winter months, we've been working on making some new cheeses, particularly with some flavors that we get a lot of requests for. But we're also really focused on our restauranteurs. There are some fabulous chefs that are really thinking outside the box and doing some amazing things with their menus. And so we, it's one of the things my husband and I love to do. We go out to, for our date, we generally frequent the places that use our cheese um, because we want to see what they're doing and they are doing some really amazing things. And I, I've always told people, I can go to a chain and spend a certain dollar amount or I can take the same amount of money and go down the street to another restaurant that's doing local foods and then just blowing things out of the water. So I think that's really something we just want to continue to, to partner with chefs that are doing some really cool things in our state. Yeah, that's neat. Do you have any uh, personal goals that you're thinking about or the, the things on the, the margins that you're trying to focus on? Well, I am one of the things that we talk about in the silos of responsibility is I'm more the back end on some of the day-to-day -day operations, which you'll see a lot of social media activity, a lot of the um, things that kind of put us out there and let people know what we're doing. So I really try to spend some time every week really focusing on that um, and giving a tip of the hat to fellow uh, producers. They're not always cheesemakers, but sometimes they are because we're all one a uh, group of people really trying to do some really cool stuff in Ohio with local foods. And I always want to give a tip of the hat to that. You know, I'm also the book at the back end is the, the book work. It is no glory in that job, but you all know we have yeah. to do that because if you're not staying up on those things, you can't really make really good decisions about 
any tweaks or adjustments or you've launched a product and how's it going unless time is really given to not only staying up on it, but the analysis. And one of the things that we do in January, which is typically our slowest month of the year, is take that time and do analysis and say, okay, what did we do well last year? And what's the course that we're going to do this year? Are we going to make changes? Are we going to meaning, are we going to drop a product? Are we going to amplify another product? Are we going to do maybe just a, t- a totally new one? And so we did make some of those hard choices just because you have to pencil it out and say, what makes sense? Because this is not a hobby. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, we're, do, we're running these businesses to make a profit so that we can live the life that is something that we all desire. And so it is important to make sure time is done for that. And so that's, that's always an ongoing goal for me is not only just put the information in, but to spend the time on the analysis. It's a really good idea to work that into your, your year too, right? To have that, that time where you always know that even, you know, as things get, they get busy and, you know, things get pushed to the back burner, but that, you know, that in, in, in the winter months that, that that's going to be a focus for you. So you can, yeah, really look at, really look at the numbers and make those decisions. I can tell you too, it really takes the fun out of coming up with new products or doing whatever creative stuff if the state health department or the IRS or whoever would, you know, like to have a conversation with you. It really doesn't matter how good your cheese is if the Department of Ag has your name on their list. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. Love this question. I have always participated in the county fair for as long as I know. And the same has happened here. We actually live just about two miles down from our county fair. And the category that I dominate, I actually dominate for several years is canned goods. I laugh because my friend and I are in a friendly competition trying to see who can win and how many ribbons we can come away with. But that is one of my little hobbies on the side that it's not uncommon for me to can about 800 to a thousand jars of some canned wow. goods a year. What are your, some of your, uh, your favorites? I'm sh- I'm assuming it's not 800 cans of the same thing. I, it is not. I do several different jams. Uh, my family loves raspberry jam and strawberry jam. So make sure we have that pickled beets, obviously green beans, because that's something that we just love. My favorite thing to make is probably a toss-up between applesauce and sauerkraut. I do about 50 to 60 pounds of sauerkraut um, in the crock. It is an absolute mess to make because it's just all that stuff flying around the kitchen. But Oh, it is so good when six weeks later it comes out. It is perfect. So it's not uncommon for me to give some canned sauerkraut to my family members because they all love it as well. I'll tell you, Angel, I did my study abroad in New Zealand and one of the, probably, this sounds bad, the best cultural exchange of the whole thing for me was finding out that down there on cheeseburgers, they put a slice of sharp white cheddar and pickled beets on top of a cheeseburger. And it is like clouds parting, angels singing. Apparently in Australia, they had a fried egg on like between the cheese and the beets, maybe. But it is chef's kiss Ooh, i'm gonna have to try that because i love peat pickle beets so this is this is good I do too. i've been known to bring my own jar to restaurants because around here if you ask for pickled beets on a cheeseburger not so much that's not no, a standard issue does not happen <laughs> no not in rural iowa it is not so we will go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. So as always, if listeners want to submit anything, you can check the show notes. Our SpeakPipe link is there if you want to leave an audio memo, or you can always send us an email and we'll read it out for you. Katie, what are you cussing and discussing, or cussing or discussing, cussing and discussing? What are you talking about this week? I don't know that this counts as cussing or discussing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it my moment of genius for... I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. I do not tell my husband or his father or any other crop farmers what the weather forecast is because it comes down on you. If it's bad and it actually is bad weather, you get shit for that. And if it says it's bad and then it's good weather, but they plan for it to be bad, 
you get shit for that. And if it says it's going to be good and then it's bad, you get shit for that. There is no winning. Get them to weather apps on their own damn phones. I And all you're doing is telling them whatever. what your app says anyway. It's not like you're forecasting yes. it, right? You're it's, not doing any interpretation. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> I'm out there like, yeah. you know. With a little windmill. I'm not a meteorologist. I don't, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. All I'm doing is reading you the forecast. So don't yell at me. Mm-hmm. So now I just stay out of it. And then it's not my problem. Yeah. Say, so look and out the window. That's <laughs> that's what it's like. right? Yeah. Now. I understand why it's frustrating, but I did not do the forecast or make it rain. So staying out of it. Um, Angel, what do you have to cuss and discuss? I set ambitious goals every year. And so every year I turn the page and say, what do I want to accomplish this year? And I'm an avid reader. So this year's goal is 100 books. Well, that tells you you got to do average of two a week. Happy to report, I'm on track. What are your, uh, do you have a favorite genre or you're one of those people that reads anything and everything? It's a really good question if I have a favorite genre. I tend to lean towards nonfiction just because I feel like there's so much information I can glean for myself, for our businesses and things like that. But I also go through a checklist that helps me branch out because I can get too tunnel focused on a category. And so the list that I'm kind of working through, I do a little bit hybrid of it, is things like read a book that a friend recommends, read a book that was written 100 years ago, read a book that has a person's face on the cover, read a book that um, your child likes, like helps me get out of just a rut. Um, But I still do a lot of nonfiction. Are you a one book at a time person or are you a, uh, a multiple books at a time person? Oh, I'm definitely a multiple books at a time person. And I, this is a confession here. Okay. I am a diehard library user or I'll buy eight books, but I, I inhale books, but I want to touch them. I just read, read via audible three audiobooks. And I must confess, I have been a jerk for the last few years, frowning on anyone that would read a book that way. And I have to say, wow, I have to really change my focus because I've actually fallen in love with it. And I think because I realized that I just completed one book that was worth, what, 12 hours? And I did that all on my treadmill. I can't stand there and read a hard copy book, but I've got my AirPods and I'm listening to a book. I've gotten so much more done. And I'm, that's why I'm on my way to get my 100 books done this year. I actually, I'm, I was the same way for a long time. And I have a friend who's a dyslexia advocate who pointed out how ableist and discriminatory it is to say that audiobooks are not reading because you're not using your eyes. And I will admit that I was very much one of those people who said, well, if you're not using your eyeballs, it's not reading. And I mean... Obviously, Braille is still reading, so audiobooks are still reading. There are still words going into your head, you know. And I will admit that I listen to a ton of audiobooks because I can listen to them while I work. And it's, yeah, same thing. I also very much love a good print book, but I'm uh, also a huge fan of audiobooks. Arlene, what did you have to cuss and discuss this week? I'm going to go with the book theme and... um I'm I'm good with the printed form and I like audiobooks too with a good narrator. Let's clarify that if the voice is wrong, then forget it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to listen cuz because like like you said they're they're they can be really long, right? It, it is a whole book. So if that narrator choice is bad, then it's not going to work out. But I will say that I'm a big fan of the Libby app on my phone. And I didn't think I was going to be a person who would read books on my phone, but it is so convenient. And I just love having a book with me all the time. And so if I'm waiting to pick up one of my kids or at a doctor's office or something, instead of doing that scrolling, which I do enough of anyway, I mean, that that also happens. I spend time on social media and doing other stuff, but being able to flip over and actually get a, you know, read a couple chapters of my book while I'm waiting for somebody is is really nice too. So Books in any form. I'll take it. 
I don't know how to read Braille, so I, I will say that's that's for other people, I guess. But yeah, I'll but, take books any way they come. I will say, Arlene, with regards to the narrator, I was listening to a book that had a narrator that sounded very much like a older, very well-educated, very well-respected friend of ours. And it got to a only minorly adult scene and it was so weird <laughs> that I noped right out and never finished the book because the idea of having to listen to this was just because you had associated that voice with somebody no. you personally yes. knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Hard no. Uh uh. Not nope. I'll never know how the book ends. It's just too bad. Yeah, doesn't doesn't yeah. matter. Not worth it. Also men doing women's voices. Hard no to that too. <laughs> yeah, that was that weird that falsetto. Yeah. Nope. So thank you so much, Angel, for taking the time to meet with us today. If people want to know more about you, your business, any of the projects you're involved in, where should they find you online? Up on our social media channels, just search for Blue Jacket Dairy in Ohio. We will pop right up and you can follow us and uh, hopefully like any of the, the posts that we have. Yeah. And do you ship cheese? I should have asked that question before. Only in the state of Ohio. So you just have to drive and come okay, visit us. So. Got it. Yeah. Ohio listeners, you're in luck. The rest of us can go visit. Sounds good. Thank you so much. My best friend does not Thanks live that far from me. you. We're on this. Oh, you're yeah, on it. I'm on okay. It. Where's your friend live? Uh, you have to tell me offline. Outside of Dayton. So. Oh, I, I, I know where Dayton's that at. Far That's at where my stomping grounds See? are. No. Jamie, get on okay. it. You know what to do cheese always always <laughs> cheese all right well thanks again angel hey thanks for having me on and i uh, just enjoyed visiting with you all and and learning more about your your uh, farming adventures that you and your listeners are having Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy this show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. <laughs>